take our Bibles this morning and turn back to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This will be the fourth lesson in this series, <clears throat> All Spiritual Blessings. This will be part four, All Spiritual Blessings, part four. I'll tell you, I don't see how, uh, and myself included, we as children of God can't be filled with joy in our hearts in our minds, and our understandings with the, the scriptural reality that is presently ours. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, you hear that? Who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we might be holy and without blame before him. Now, that's how God views us. Now, I, I know the world doesn't understand that, and they can't understand it. I, and that's one of the things that you and I as children of God, those born of God, those who've been given the mind of Christ, who have been filled with his Holy Spirit, we have to always keep that in mind when it comes to our friends, our family members, or even our foes. You can't just by uh, oral argument convince somebody of the reality of this, this God whom you know. See, that's the thing. We know him, right? We, that, that, if you say, well, no, I don't really know him. Well, if you don't know him, you don't, you don't have eternal life. Because this, our Lord was clear. This is life eternal. This is how we judge whether we, we have life eternal, that they might know thee. And that word know means to love. It's an intimate relationship between a husband and a wife. You love your wife, you love your husband. How much? As much as humanly possible, I hope. We know him. And who else do we know? We know Jesus Christ, whom that father the true and living God, we know the Christ that he sent. And he sent him here for a particular purpose. He didn't come here to set an example for us, though he does set an example for us. But that wasn't what he came here for. He didn't come here to teach us how to love one another and be kind and compassionate to one another. He didn't come here to teach us to go to church and read the Bible and and. and be the best we can possibly be. He, he came here to do what? To save sinners. He came here to justify the ungodly. And we know that. We know that to be true. That's the only hope we have. And by God's grace, may, may we all grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. May we have a greater knowledge of that, not only when things are right, but when things are wrong. Because the truth is this, and this is what we have to come to as children of God, and I think this is what our lives are about. Everything that we can see, everything that we can touch, everything that we can hold and possess in our hands or in our minds, and say it's ours, because we like to say I have... My house is over 900 Wedgwood. I have a 
pickup truck. You know, I have a wife that I love. I have two boys that I love. I have a daughter-in-law that I love. I have a granddaughter that I love above measure. <laughs> you see that where the emphasis goes on the granddaughter. <laughs> but all of it's temporal. It has no, it has no lasting value. I mean, I'm not, not discounting any of it, because I tell you what, let things go awry with any of those items I just mentioned to you and what happens to my life. Or yours too. But here's the thing. You take all that from the child of God. What have you still got? <laughs> here's what you got. You've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The things that are seen, Paul said in Corinthians are temporal. So that lets me know that everything that I can see with my eyes, you, this building, what I see in my bank accounts, my wife, all those things that I mentioned, everything that we see, temporal. And according to what John said, just like Paul, John said that not only is it temporal, he says it's passing away, all of it. If we live long enough, either me or my wife, that's a silly way to say that. One point in time, either I'm going to die or my wife's going to die. People that I know and love, brethren in Christ Jesus, have lost children. Lost their children before them. I couldn't envision losing a child before I myself leave this present world. But listen. None of that, none of that changes our present abiding position. And that's, what, that's why he starts his letter off this way. That's what we need as children of God. We need assurance of these things. And the only way we can have assurance of these things is as we consider them as God writes them down for us. And he makes it plain and simple and dogmatic and it's declarative. He tells us what he was doing, what he's done, and what he planned and purposed before the foundation of the world. Now look, we made it down through verse 5 last Sunday. Look at verse 6. Why did he do all of this? Why did he bless us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places? Why did he choose a people before the foundation of the world? And I know people have trouble with that, and I really don't care. Because I always think of the way natural man reacts to the truth of God. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. We've been given the mind to Christ. If you know and understand the truth of how God chose the people before the foundation world, you did not figure that out on your own. Now, you can figure out some of it, but it, that you don't see the life and death nature of it. I see that if he hadn't have chose people, what would have happened? If he had made any of this dependent on us, you want me to tell you who would have went to heaven? Not a single soul. Not one. Oh, I know somebody. No, you don't. There's none. You hear that? There's none that seeketh after God. There's none righteous, no, not one. They have all. That's all without exception. They have all sin and come short of the glory of God, you and me included. 
So thank God he chose us before the foundation. Thank God that there were vessels of mercy prepared before unto glory. But I'd have you notice the way he says this, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us. He's not making us. He hath made us accepted in the beloved. That's where we're at right now. If we're children of God, we are accepted in the blood. Now, this phrase, accepted in the blood, it's so important to you and me. And I've told you this as we started this study. I've repeated it every time. That phrase, in Christ, is used 130 times by the Apostle Paul in the epistles that he wrote. And here in this chapter, we see in the blood, we see in him, we see in Christ. And all of them mean the same thing. Every one of them. And see, this is the thing. This, this, we're accepted in the blood, in Christ. This is God's testimony. that our, This is His testimony. This is the witness of God. That our persons are accepted in Christ as our mediator and representative who satisfied all the conditions of our salvation, and he did it by the establishment of a perfect righteousness through his very obedience unto death, from his birth to his life to his obedience to the law to his sacrificial death at Calvary to his resurrection from the grave to his ascension on high and his seating at the right hand of the majesty on high and his, him eternally and forever interceding on our behalf. Not that he's up there praying every single solitary moment for The fact that he sits there, it, it intercedes for us. <laughs> Why? We're in him. We'll get to that in several months over in Ephesians chapter 2. We've been raised together and made to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, I know some people, when they... They see this phrase, except in the blood, they say, well, God doesn't look on us. And it sounds right, but follow, follow the reason on this. God doesn't look on us, but he looks on Christ. Well, you think about it. That's not the meaning of this phrase. <clears throat> and it's not the meaning of being in Christ. See, because here's the thing. God does see our persons. You think about this. God sees our person. I, you think, here, here's how you can think about it. In our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, what did he say concerning righteousness? He said, except your righteousness. Exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. You shall in no case enter into the kingdom of God. Surely shall one say in the Lord. Have I righteousness and strength? God, God does see us when we do things that are pleasing to Him. Huh? He does. He's, how do we know that? He's made us kings and priests that we might offer sacrifices acceptable unto Him through Jesus Christ our Lord. But not only does He see us when we do things that are pleasing in His sight, Folks, he does see us when we do things that are displeasing in his sight. He does see us when we sin. 
seeing us in Christ, seeing us accepted in the blood, it means that He sees our person. Now think about this. He's blessed us with all spirit. He sees our persons. How does He see Richard Warmack this morning? Justified. He sees me this morning, what? Sanctified. Fully and completely. He sees me. Richard Warmack. He sees me entitled to the entire inheritance based on the imputed righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be, we, you hear that? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The, this is the fruit and the effect of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ by God's grace. And if you'll notice here, we're, we're not accepted based on our past. We're not accepted based on our present. And we're not ex accepted based on any future performance. But only for this reason we are accepted in the beloved, in Christ Jesus. We have to keep this in truth, in truth in mind as we begin to look now here at verse 7 through 12, the work of the Son in redemption. Verses 1 through 6 basically concerned, actually verses 3 through 6, it dealt with the first work of the person, the, the work of the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. He chose, he determined, he predestinated sinners, a, a multitude of guilty sinners to eternal life. But then we come to the work of God, Christ the Son, the second person of the Trinity. Look at verse 7. In whom we have redemption. I like the way the scriptures state that. It's always in the past tense. Have you noticed that? Religion, false religion, how did it always teach us? We might have redemption. If. There's always an if or a but. In, in, in the religions of this world. There's always some condition placed on the sinner. The scripture, and when it comes to this work of salvation, redemption, the purposes and plans of God to glorify and honor himself as a just God and a Savior, no conditions. In whom we have redemption, how? Here is this, through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Find yourself right there. But then I would encourage those who think it's conditioned on the sinner, find me where you're in there. With your faith, or your works, or your sincerity, or your morality, or even your perseverance. See, here, here's the long and the short of it. This is what we need more than anything else, the forgiveness of sins. David said in Psalm 130, Lord, if thou shouldest mark my sin, mark mine iniquity, whom stand? The answer is what? Nobody. But there is what? Forgiveness. Forgiveness with a 
that thou, this God who forgives sin. Remember what, remember what the scribes and Pharisees said of the Lord Jesus Christ when he told that woman to go, your sins are forgiven? They said, who is this man that says that her sins are forgiven? The only one that can forgive, they had this part right. The only one that can forgive is who? God. You can forgive your, you can forgive your spouse for something. They can forgive you. You can forgive your, a dear friend for some, some way that they've crossed. You can forgive somebody who runs into your car with a buggy at the grocery store or something, skins up the side of your car. But that ain't the kind of forgiveness we're talking about here. Redemption, when you think about it, in whom we have redemption. You know what? If, if, if we have redemption, what does that mean? It means we needed to be redeemed. Do you see that? It means it, it, it takes into the very idea of redemption takes into consideration captivity. What were we captive to? The law of sin and death. Bondage? What were we? We were bound and under the law. It, the, the word redemption, you know what? It, 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 the word is exagorazo, is what it is, or agorazo. Let me impress you with my Greek. <laughs> But it means simply this. It means to buy back off the marketplace of sin by a set price. What was the set price? The blood of Christ. That's what it took. It, the, the word redemption, it literally means to ransom out of a state of wrath and bondage. Never to return. Oh, listen to this. It, boy, this, this is going to fry somebody's brain if they run up on it out there on the Internet and they hate the gospel. No sin that the child of God can ever commit can return them to wrath and bondage and condemnation. Oh, preacher, don't say that. Therefore, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Who shall into the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifies. It's God that declares right. Who is he that condemneth? Or what is it that condemneth? The only one that can condemn you is who? It's Christ that died, yea, rather that's risen again, who's even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for you. So if he came and lived and died and rose again and intercedes for you, and he's the only one that can condemn you. You think there's any possibility he ever condemn you? You say, well, it, th what about the sins I commit after I believe? Well, let me ask you this. How many of your sins were future sins when Christ came and suffered and bled and died? Did it just apply up to when you supposedly accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Or does it encompass every sin? Any sin that Richard Warmack will ever commit, it's forgiven where? In Christ. Folks, that's, that's good news to a sinner. And it's, it's the only thing that can bring, bring true love out. He, he delights to show mercy. Listen to what Paul wrote to those at Galatia. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. How? Being made a curse for us. This is Galatians 3, verse 13, 14. For it is written, Cursed 
everyone that hangs on a tree. That was the worst death, according to the Old Testament. The, the worst of the worst, where would they be hung? On a tree. And Christ, by imputation alone, what did he? He was, he was held accountable for sins he had no part in producing or maintaining or ever committing. But they came, became just as much his as if they were his. He didn't become a sinner, and he didn't become sinful. I know he didn't become sinful. He didn't become a sinner because if he'd have become a sinner, instead of lying there obediently with his hands stretched out and his feet there, praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I tell you, I've changed my mind on that, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That was not for those, that, that was not for the reprobate. Because if he had said, Father, forgive them for what they do, you know what would have happened? Who's he praying? Me and you. Because that's who nailed him there. Rome did it. Israel, national Israel was behind it. But who put him there? What, what caused our Lord to stay there? It wasn't for national Israel. It wasn't for the reprobate. Why did he stay there? For the forgiveness of my sin. God's justice required it, demanded it, and would accept nothing less. Here's why he hangs on it. That the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. How? Through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. He promised he'll fill every one of his children. What are they going to have? They're going to have the comforter. He shall, he has been with you and he shall be where? In you. If any man have not the spirit of Christ, Paul said in Romans chapter 8, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, none of his. But here, here's the thing. In whom we have redemption. This might be a two-parter. I can't get to the sun. I, I got, had good intentions, but I don't think I'm going to make it there. I can see I'm in a bind already. <laughs> this redemption, it resides one place. It's in Christ. As he's the author and he's the finisher of it. I, I, I swear one verse that I think of almost every day of my life. Every day of my life. Men and bread, let men and brethren. Let me think just say. Be it known unto you, men and brethren, that by this man, by this man, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. What's preached? I'm gonna tell you what, if if the, in this lesson and in the sermon that I preached in the next hour. If I don't preach out the forgiveness of sins, I'm not worth listening one word I've got to say. And I'm going to tell you what, that condemns about 98 to 99% of what's going on in churches today. They're not telling people. They're not pre Unto you is preached the forgiveness of sins. Do you hear this plain and simple? God was in Christ reconciling the world, his people, to himself not imputing their trespasses unto them. Why? He had imputed them to Christ. His obedience, Christ's obedience, and his suffering 
And his death is what makes up our redemption. Completely. And we're made partakers of this redemption, this, this freely given, the forgiveness of sin, one way. How? By imputation. It's not a feeling. It's not some radical change. You know, that, that's what they always told us, you know. You're a new creature. There's going to be some great change in your life. Well, I tell you what. If that is what being a Christian is, some great change, you're looking at a guy that's lost his goose. Has no clue. Can I tell you what? 36 years in, I'm still struggling with the same things, actually more so struggling than when I first believed 36 years ago. You say, oh, no, it's got to get better. No, I tell you, it don't. It don't. I tell you what, the, the guilt, the fresh guilt that comes into our minds because of who and what we are is enough for us to self-condemn ourselves forever. And we do. So filled with doubt, worry, anxiety, fear, unbelief. I was up here at the church yesterday because our, our water was out and had to come up here because I couldn't go to the bathroom, so I came down here. I don't know any other way to put it. And while I was here, my brother called me, and me and him got to talking on the phone. And I, he said, "What are you up there for the church for?" And I told him. And uh, he said, "Well, he said, you know, my my water heater went out the other day too." And I'm like, "Okay." And he said, "I I got so worried, so anxious." And, and they said, me and my brother believe a different gospel. I know my wife says, "Don't say that," but it's just the truth. I love him to death, I do. But the Christ that he worships and serves is not the Christ that I worship and serve. But he made a statement, and when he made the statement, he said, you know, we know the Lord's. It, you know, the Lord knows how things are going to work out. Well, that, that sounds right. He does know that how things are going to work out, but the reason he knows how things are going to work out is what's he done. He's purposed how they're going to work out. And when he made that statement, he said, you know, it's just it's wrong for us to not believe our God. And I'm sitting there and thinking, yeah, well, it's right for me, but for you it's a different kind of thing. And that was before I went home, and last night, 9 30, I went in there and I looked in the closet, and there was water going everywhere after he had finished the job at 1 o'clock in the morning, and I had water running over everything underneath where the hot water heater was at, and I climbed up on top and looked, and it was leaking like a sieve at the top. One of the pipes where it was welded into the top was not welded off, and it was just pouring water, and it had filled the drain pan and overflowed the drain pan. I was just I was beside myself. I mean, I, I called a plumber, and thank God he, he was able to come last night, repair it, fix it. But, you know, Pam had to give me a little medication to get me to sleep last night. <laughs> and I did sleep good, but I woke up at 5 o'clock this morning, and the first thing I did at 5 o'clock this morning, you know what I did? I real quiet. Pam, I, I heard Pam, and I, I was embarrassed because I didn't want her to hear me. But I eased out and snuck downstairs and went all the way downstairs in the dark hoping the dog wouldn't bark, and opened that closet and looked inside. 
went and got the flashlight, looked inside, went and got the little small ladder at 5 o'clock this morning. Even though I didn't see nothing in the pan, everything's dry, went and got the small ladder, climbed up on top at 5 in the morning, looking around, trying to find a leak. Now, we laugh about that, but I tell you what, that's the trying of who we are. It shows us what's in our hearts. If he has blessed me with redemption, do you think he's going to fail me or you with anything in this prayer? Everything in this life drives us where? It drives us away from our Savior. Because I tell you, I, I, was, I, I went up all last night when, when that time I was waiting for that plumber to get there. I went up there and laid my head on my wife's lap while she was in bed reading a book. And I was like a little baby almost. Almost wanted to cry. The whole time feeling absolutely guilty knowing that everything that had occurred, why did it happen? What an accident. It was on purpose, but we can't get that through these thick heads. Me more than anybody else. Everything in our lives happens absolutely, positively on purpose. But none of that matters. If, if it had flooded and destroyed the whole house, I still have redemption through his blood. Do you see that? Pure and simple. God's very specific on this thing. We have redemption one way, through his blood. That, his blood means what? Through his death. That's what we're talking about. His obedience, everything that he was. It required the entirety, the totality of his person. So it's this redemption through his blood, it's equivalent of saying based on his righteousness imputed to us. We have forgiveness. We have redemption through his righteousness imputed, based on his righteousness alone. And I tell you, that excludes all other possibilities of redemption. It's based on his righteousness, and apart from his righteousness, there's no redemption, none. But he tells us something here. Here, too, God tells us plainly that the forgiveness of our sins is based on his blood, his righteousness, his satisfaction to justice. I want to be very careful. I think this will be about maybe as far as we get this morning. We'll cover one verse and come back and get the rest of them next week. I want to make this as clear as I can. We, we read this verse every time we take the Lord's table. Without the shedding of blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And that word remission, you know what it means? It means forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Okay, so what does he make clear there? There's only one way there's forgiveness. The shedding of blood. It was, it was taught by type at the very beginning. When our parents fell in the garden, Adam and Eve, our representative man Adam, when he fell, what did it require? Huh? It says, and the Lord took and made them coats of skin. I tell you what, he didn't just reach out in the air and take a skin out of the air. To take a skin, to make a covering, what did he have to do? And this lets me know that this was, this was the second part. This was the Lord Jesus Christ did this work of covering. Because it's his work 
to cover to, to provide the covering for his people. Our Lord Jesus Christ killed something. And from every indication from what I find in the scriptures, because repeatedly from that point forward, what do they always take? A lamb or a ram, an innocent victim. And you think about that. A, a, a lamb can't do anything other than be a lamb. Totally innocent. It doesn't have an Adamic nature. It doesn't sin against God. Huh? So God took something that was sinless and he killed it and he made for them coats of skin and he removed, our Lord removed, those fig leaves that they had sown, which is a picture of what we do with our lives, unregenerate. What do we do? We sow together our fig leaves of self, right? He took it off and he covered their sin. And by God's grace, what did Adam see through that? Same thing I see. What? The seed of the woman. Right? Redemption through the blood. So it's not just any blood because we know this much. Even though God, our Lord, took and made, killed an innocent victim and clothed our first parents in the garden, it's not possible that the blood of bulls and rams and goats can put away sin. So it's not the blood of the blood of the lamb, that lamb, but which one? Behold what John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So it's not just any blood. What blood does it require? Not mine. Some seem to think, I remember one of the first books that I was instructed to read when I got involved in Reformed religion. And I remember reading and thinking, boy, these guys are great heroes of the faith. They said, you got to, this is mandatory reading. You know what it was? Fox's Book of Martyrs. And I read it, when I read Fox's Book of Martyrs, all them people in the flames, you know, and them still singing praises to God. I tell you what, they might have sang praises to God, but if they didn't believe this Christ, they died in vain. Didn't do them any good. They, they, they might have been faithful to their God. Might have stood through the torture of it all. But if they didn't rest in the forgiveness of sins, through the blood of the Lamb, because so, so much of that Fox's Book of Martyr was about how we know these guys and gals that died were saved is because they died for their faith. Uh-uh. Not it. I always think about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. Especially those three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they stood before Nebuchadnezzar and they looked at him and they told him, one way or another, we're going to be delivered from you today. Either we're going to die or he's going to deliver us. One way. But one way or another, we're done with you. You know what what faith enabled him to do? To see a kingdom which cannot be moved. To see an eternal inheritance. They thought, kill this body, we're free. We go to be with our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, sins aren't forgiven based on tears. They're not forgiven based on confession. I know uh, I, every time when I'm, I'm praying, I think about that, you know, 
If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all our unrighteous. If we walk in the light, John says, as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all our sins. And so what do we do? We are to confess our sins. But you know what? I could Every sin that I've ever confessed since I've truly known the gospel, my confession of my sin has never put away one sin. Matter of fact, before I ever confessed what's already occurred, every, listen, every sin that I confessed, it was forgiven where? Through the blood of Christ. It's not going to get forgiven. It was forgiven. So what is confession? It's an acknowledgement. Tears of remorse. Everybody thinks if you get weepy-eyed over something that it's, it's a good thing. And, you know, so it, it inflicts on us when we, when we sin and we don't feel emotional about it. What do we think? And what does Satan find in our mind? He says, you can't be a Christian because your heart ain't broken up. I think about Peter. You know, in John chapter 21, when our Lord Jesus Christ looked at him three times and told him, Simon Peter, do you love me? You know, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. He asked him a second time, Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then he asked him a third time, Simon Peter, do you love me? And it's, it says he swore with an oath. Remember, remember the other time he swore with an oath? Remember that young lady said the third time, are you with them? And he swore with an oath. There ain't no way I'm with them. But then he appealed to this. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Now, he wasn't, he wasn't, Lord, you know everything. Nuh-uh. He said, Lord, you see my heart. You, and see, that's the thing. The Lord knows our love to him because he put it there. We love him because he first loved us. It doesn't always work itself out the way religion teaches us that men should act, but we, we know we've sinned against our God. And we know how it grieves our hearts, but I, it's not tears of confession. Listen, it's not our faith. And it's certainly not our repentance. It's not based on our performance of any kind, in any way, to any degree, ever. And I tell you, that one fact, and we'll end with this this morning, that one fact tells us that if the Lord Jesus Christ shed his blood, like this religious world teaches, ultimately for those who end up in eternal hell, in eternal condemnation, then blood alone won't bring forgiveness of sin. Now you think about that. They say, God loves everybody, Christ died for everybody. And they listen, they mean that. Now you can force their hand. You can say, well, what about, what about Adolf Hitler? I'm not real sure. But if they're true to what they say, who'd he die for? What about Judas Iscariot? Let's go back. Let's take it out of our history. Go back to one of our Lord's apostles that our Lord chose. and said he chose him from the beginning. He was a devil. Did he die for him? Did he shed his blood for him? No, because if he had a, he would have never looked at that man and told him it had been better that you'd never been born. 
Because the thing is, if you're born and you live and you die as a, as a reprobate sinner, purposed and planned before the foundation of the world, it would actually be better if you never existed. But think about that. If, if that's true, if there's sinners in hell for whom Christ died, then we could, we could not say in whom we have redemption through his blood. Do you see that? And here's the thing, since God excludes everything else but Christ's blood, he says there's only remission through Christ's blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. And those who believe and preach and support such heresy, Christ bore the sins of all men and women without exception, even those who finally perish, they're seeking forgiveness based on their faith, or they're seeking their uh, salvation and eternal life based on their repentance. And that proves that their so-called forgiveness, what is it? Their forgiveness that they talk about is a refuge of lies. They can't talk about true forgiveness Forgiveness means forgiveness. And he does it for this reason, according to the riches of his grace. See, here's, here's the standard. We'll stop right here this morning. By which this redemption and forgiveness of sin is measured. It's the riches of God's grace. And I tell you, that's, you know, it, it, the, think about it, the riches according to the riches of his grace. His grace. Whose grace? God's. And you know what that means to me and you? It suggests to our minds and our understanding the greatness and the sufficiency of this redemption. It's not an offer of redemption. It's actually a redemption. Okay, we'll stop right there. We'll come back and pick up. Uh, next.